The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Do you pick up a Bible, which hopefully is close to you, and uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Daniel, an amazing book. Uh, We're looking at Daniel chapter 2, an amazing chapter, a wonderful chapter, Uh, quite a long chapter, but a wonderful chapter. Uh, So turn to uh, page 884, page 884, uh, Daniel chapter 2. And uh, Margaret is going to read from that, and then Simon will come and preach. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. They came in and stood before the king. He said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, you will be cut cut to pieces and your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, There is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. 
Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, that you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed to you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not with human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer and the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron smashes and breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, 
even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly of clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Margaret, thank you so much for reading. What a, a long but fascinating chapter Fear not, we're aiming to have, uh, uh, to, be, to have more fun and be more interesting, even than what's going on through there. So keep your focus in the room. Um, let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us as we look at this chapter together. Father, thank you so much for this great Old Testament book of Daniel that we are studying at the moment. Thank you for all that you show us through it. In this chapter, you are called over and over again the revealer of mysteries. And I pray that you would be revealing mysteries to us through your word, through all that it says week by week, and that you would make us those who listen humbly and delight to receive all that you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Wouldn't it be brilliant to be able to predict the future? Um, even just something as every day as the weather, more than a day or two ahead, seems very elusive for our predictors. Um, think of all the decades of research and technological advancements that have gone into trying to predict the weather. Think of the, the twists and turns of economics and politics over these last couple of years. And all the people who now are looking back and saying, yeah, all my predictions were very, very wrong. Um, the future is very unpredictable in lots of ways. That seems to be the only predictable thing sometimes. Some of you might know that uh, some of my favorite films are the Back to the Future trilogy. And uh, when they visit the future in the second film, a future, by the way, set in 2015, um, uh, it, it shows how dangerous it could be for us to know too much about the future. Uh, they end up, some of them, using that knowledge very selfishly and dangerously and, and causing horrendous problems. And in this chapter, here in Daniel 2, we see the most powerful man in the world of his day, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He begins the chapter 
trying to understand the future through a dream that he'd had. And he gets more and more frustrated that he and nobody else can seem to understand this dream. But by the end of the chapter, he's humbled and on his knees, having been told the future by God himself. It's only the beginning of a journey towards faith for Nebuchadnezzar. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs for Nebuchadnezzar as he sort of discovers more about God in the next few chapters. He will eventually, amazingly, genuinely turn to faith in the living God. But I'd love us to respond the same way as he does this morning, in trust and humility. As he says at the end, I think we can see this hopefully on the screen, Nebuchadnezzar admits, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries. So it'd be great to recognize God, the revealer of mysteries, and trust our own future to him. We're going to see that we can't predict the future, that God can reveal the future, and that the future belongs to him, belongs to the Lord. So the first thing Daniel 2 shows us, the first heading on your sheet on the handout that's just gone round, we can't predict the future. So if we step back into the story that we began last week in Daniel 1, remember last week, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his army had invaded all the countries around, including Israel, and a whole generation of young teenagers, including Daniel, had been effectively kidnapped, forced into um, a life in Babylon where they were going to be indoctrinated, brainwashed against Israel, against the God of Israel, and trained to think like a Babylonian and feel like a Babylonian and worship the Babylonian gods. And as if just to underline how immersed they now were in the life of Babylon, unlike all the rest of the Old Testament, Daniel chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic, which was the language of Babylon. As if to say this Babylonian culture was just everywhere, had its clutches into them. But King Nebuchadnezzar, seemingly the most powerful of them all, is more vulnerable than he seems. In chapter 2, he has this dream. Um, Verse 1, he's troubled by it. He can't sleep. And he calls in his sort of professional dream interpreters, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. These, These were the futurologists, the people who claimed the power to predict the future, to, to sort of influence it. Um, We know from what we archaeologically have discovered about Babylon that they were obsessed with predictions. They'd look for signs in the sky, they'd pour oil in water, uh, they'd discuss the shape of animal livers and things like that to try and figure out the future. In our day, it would be dressed up a bit less in the magic, um, but we're full of political consultants and trend spotters and predictors of the future. It can be a useful exercise to do that, but back then it was dressed up in very magical religious terms that was all very normal for them the king had a dream in verse 4 the advisors are ready tell us the dream and we will interpret it and I guess they were used to blagging some interpretations of the king's dream and sounding confident that was their game but this time to their horror Nebuchadnezzar turns skeptic on them and maybe it's his paranoia or, or just being a bit savvy about people around him. Whatever it was, today he doesn't feel like trusting his clever magicians. 
And we get this terrifying statement in verse 5. This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, and I can't help slightly smiling at the next bit, though it's so brutal, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I mean, there speaks a despot, an absolute dictator, and an evil man at this stage. Brilliant and unhinged. Uh, Verse 6, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Now, cue the squirming from these magicians and interpreters. Uh, That's not how it works, your majesty. You know the deal. You tell us the dream. Uh, We'll tell you what it means. Verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar effectively says, "Uh -uh, you're trying to gain time. Your job's been too easy for too long. How do I know you're not a bunch of fakers? pretending to predict the future, using me to get power and influence. For all I know, you're a load of con artists. So, verse 9, tell me the dream, and then I will know you can interpret it for me. It's quite a brilliant tactic, really. Um, Maybe next time someone offers to read your horoscope, you could say, tell me when my birthday is, and then we can look at that. (laughs) And in their panic, these astrologers are forced into a statement of rather terrified honesty. Verse 10, they answer the king, there's no one on earth who can do that. And that's exactly the point. No one can. They continue, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. Yes, it is. It's too difficult. Most modern readers of this are pretty sympathetic to Nebuchadnezzar at this point. He's absolutely right to be skeptical. Even more revealing, verse 11 says, No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Do you think many people today would probably agree with that? If there is a god or gods out there, or some kind of spiritual realm many people today would say if it's there it's vague and unknowable speculative don't expect actual communication from God if he exists or any revelations about him or about the future people say if there is a God don't try and be certain about him don't try and get direct answers from him it's all speculation well says Nebuchadnezzar in verse 12 In that case, go and kill them all. It's brutal. Uh, But there's a horrible logic to it. What is the point of these magicians if they have no magic? Bunch of freeloaders. Um, You're better off getting rid of them. It's a bit like the the angry response that you sometimes see from the kind of extreme secularizers uh, in our country. What is the point of religion or of church or of church ministers, if the whole thing is just a man-made myth. There's a logic to that, quite right. Nebuchadnezzar, fine, get angry, get rid of them. There's a relative of mine that, that feels this way. He used to, I've mentioned this before, he used to have on his Facebook info page a quote from a skeptical French author who said, when the last stone from the last church falls on the last priest... The world will finally be free. 
And I think, thank you very much, mate. Um, but we need to come to terms with this. Without magic, without some sort of revelation from God or from somewhere beyond, we can't know the future. Not with any certainty. That is the human condition. And that needs to humble us. In the Bible, in James 4.13, it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. We need to be humbled by our inability to know even the smallest details, really, with any certainty about the future. I think we're gradually learning to not be too impressed with today's human attempts at prediction. The consultants, the gurus, the forecasters, the computer modeling, the speculators, all of that has value. Often it's educated speculation, but it is just speculation. We can't really know the future, and we need to humbly admit that. But what happens next in Daniel 2 shows us that there is a God who can tell us the future. God can reveal the future. We can't. God can. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar sends a poor chap called uh, Arioch. Uh, you wouldn't want this job. He, he has the task of going around and telling all the wise men, the king's decided to kill you. Uh, you wouldn't want that job. And uh, Daniel's one of those who, who faces death. And in verse 14, Daniel spoke to Arioch with wisdom and tact. Well, you, you would, wouldn't you? You'd try. Um, he asks for permission to see the king because although Daniel agrees that human beings can't know the future, he wants to tell the king that he knows a God who does live among humans, who can communicate, who does speak. I was thinking that's a pretty risky move for Daniel. But the king was going to kill him, so maybe it wasn't. Um, but he doesn't yet know if God will reveal this particular mystery. So he asks for time. Verse 17, he goes back to his three Israelite friends. And um, verse 18, they pray. And they go to the only genuine source of knowledge of the future. The only God who they know is real. And who actually can predict what is to come. Reveal what is to come. Not just predict. And in verse 19, in the night, the mystery is revealed to Daniel. God gave Daniel a dream that showed him Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of the dream, which is pretty remarkable. And we see Daniel's response in uh, verses 20 to 23. This little prayer of praise in the middle of the chapter shows us the most important thing to take away from this chapter. It's not about Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel or dreams or even the content of the dream. Our most important response is to listen to God and to praise him because he can reveal the future to us. He's the revealer of mysteries. Look at what Daniel praises God for in verse 20. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Those two things, wisdom and power. Other gods are fake. They can't reveal anything to their religious gurus. But Daniel's God, the God of Israel, the God of heaven, is the one true God, and he does have wisdom and power. 
His power is seen in verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. God's power is what makes time pass, what makes clocks tick, what makes summer turn into spring. Uh, no, it doesn't. Summer turn into autumn and then winter and then spring and then summer again. You know it better than I do. Um, all of history is in his hands, everything, and kings being raised up and deposed. Nebuchadnezzar, well, God is the one who raised him up. God is the one who will bring him down. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world, but he was not in charge. God's power was behind all things. And God's wisdom is seen in verses 21 to 22. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. It says he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. A really silly example of things that dwell in darkness that we have no idea about. I remember a few years ago seeing, do you remember this news footage of the first time ever that a giant squid had been caught on video uh, alive? Now that's a huge creature. There's probably a ton of them down at the beginning, uh, down at the bottom of the, the ocean. And until recently, we'd only seen dead ones and made up stories about them. We are so limited in our knowledge that a vast creature like that on our planet can go undetected by us for so long. That's a silly example, but we're, we're talking about much more impressive knowledge than that. God knows all the secrets of the universe. God knows all the secrets of your heart and my heart. There is nothing that he doesn't fully understand. And here, perhaps, the thing that seems most deep and hidden and dark to us, the future. God knows the future. No change of weather or economic fortune or political opinion is ever a surprise to God. God knew before the beginning of time that this morning it would be 20 degrees here in Teddington and that I would have shreddies for breakfast. God knows everything. He knew everything about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel is full of thanks in verse 23. I thank and praise you, O God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the, the dream of the king. And Daniel's really careful not to take credit himself for that. Verse 27, Daniel says to the king, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel doesn't want any confusion here. He doesn't want Nebuchadnezzar to think, oh, Daniel's an amazing interpreter, amazing magician. He wants to bring glory to God who revealed this mystery. Daniel's a great model for us here. God's revelation, uh, the words of God that we have in, in Scripture in particular, should humble us because it comes from him and not from us. Christians and churches and Christian teachers like me, we have zero reason to be proud of the things that we know that God has revealed to us. Every reason to be humble, but every reason to praise God. Anything I say to you this morning or, or, or any Sunday morning, if it's true, 
is not from me, it's from God. That is why we want to teach the Bible and not the latest human thinking about things. So be like Daniel, come to God for wisdom. And when you receive it, give him thanks, give him praise. So at last we come to the content of the dream. And uh, I put all this under the heading, the future belongs to the Lord, because that ultimately is what it reveals. Nebuchadnezzar was right uh, in verse 29. The dream was about things to come. And in the dream, there was a huge statue, a great big statue, enormous in verse 31, dazzling, awesome in appearance. Now, this would have made sense to Nebuchadnezzar. Great statues represented great rulers. It's the kind of thing he would have set up and does set up later in Daniel, referring to himself. Kings of ancient empires would place statues of themselves throughout their realms to, to stamp their authority, make sure everyone knew who was in charge. But no wonder Nebuchadnezzar was freaked out by this dream, because at the end, this great figure is smashed up by a rock, a supernatural rock that then grows to fill the earth. Of course he was worried. He'd be thinking, is this me? Am I going to be smashed up? Who or what is this rock? Now, not only that, uh, the statue had multiple layers, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, with clay mixed in with the iron in its feet. Now, what on earth did all of that mean? Uh, strange, strange statue. And uh, God explains to Daniel, who explains to the king, this is what it means. The statue is not just Nebuchadnezzar, but a series of kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar is just the head of gold. Right now, says Daniel, uh, in verse 37, God has made you the king of kings. He's given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them all. You can imagine a little smile passing across Nebuchadnezzar's face, enjoying hearing that. But then... After Nebuchadnezzar, there are three more kingdoms, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, arising one after another. And then finally, Daniel explains the rock. The rock is God's kingdom. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it will itself endure forever. Daniel says, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. In other words, eventually, the future belongs to the Lord. God's kingdom, in the end, will rule all things, and all human kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar's included, will be swept away. That's the the outline of the dream. We're going to hear loads more about that and about these kingdoms later on in Daniel. Human kingdoms that rise and fall. uh, And God's kingdom coming and then outlasting them all. We need to know that. Everyone needs to know that. Now, I'm sure some of you are sitting there, hang hang on, hang on. Can we identify these kingdoms? Um, uh, Yes. Although, predictably, there's debate amongst scholars about exactly uh, which ones they refer to. 
Uh, I'll say more in chapters to come when we get into more detail about these kingdoms. Um, I'm, I'm preparing a little document that sort of gives arguments to and fro about which kingdoms they are, just for those who are particularly interested. I'll put that out in future weeks. Um, for now, let me make a, a bash through my current take of it. We know the gold head is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. The silver chest and arms, verse 39 says, is inferior to Babylon. I think on balance it makes most sense to see this as the median empire because it briefly became the dominant empire in the area. It was never as large as Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Then the bronze belly and thighs are said to be, in verse 39, uh, to, to rule over the whole earth. I think this is probably the Persian empire, which was bigger and longer lasting than any of the others. And then I think uh, the Iron Kingdom is probably the, the Greco-Roman empire, the kind of, from Old Testament perspective, a great European empire that would come. Uh, it's said in verse 40 to be as strong as iron, breaking and smashing all the others. And that fits well with Alexander the Great, the first Greek emperor, uh, who by the age of 30 had conquered a vast area and uh, was never defeated in battle. But then he died, and the Greek empire was immediately divided up amongst the generals. So it became a divided, squabbling mess where the Greek culture mixed in with the existing cultures, which seems to fit in with that sort of divided uh, uh, kingdom with iron mixed with clay. That's where I'm at at the moment. Um, uh, there's another prominent view uh, that says Medes and Persians should be considered as one empire, um, shifting everything a bit so the fourth empire is, is then Rome. Um, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Um, it's uh, good arguments on, on both sides. But the key thing is, these empires will rise and fall and then God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, more specifically the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us, will come and will fill the earth. In Luke 20, 18, uh, it deliberately references Daniel 2 when it says Jesus is a stone and everyone on whom that stone falls will be crushed. These um, last couple of weeks, We've been remembering the Queen, who died last year, after becoming the, the longest reigning monarch here in Britain. And uh, I remember seeing a, a cartoon a little while ago, which I quite enjoyed. There was the Queen standing at one end, and her royal robe was sort of draped a very, very long way through this picture. It went on and on and on. And standing on the robe were all of the prime ministers who had served under her, just one after the other. Was it 14 or 15? I can't remember. A lot of prime ministers <laughs> under uh, Her Majesty. And these prime ministers all looked very serious. And the Queen was at the end, just smiling. As if to say, prime ministers rise and fall, but the Queen has outlasted them all. Well, that's something of it. That's a sort of temporary picture of something really, really big and important. Human kingdoms, empires, realms rise and fall, but God's kingdom will come and outlast them all. At the end of the Bible, Revelation eleven fifteen puts it this way. The kingdom of this world has become, talking about the future, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Do you know, I, 
I don't think there's anyone other than Jesus that I would want to reign forever. It is wonderful news that Jesus, the one who loves us so much and came and gave his life for us that we might live forever under God's forgiveness, is the one who will be on the throne forever and ever. Now look, as human beings, there is no way that any of us could have known or discovered or predicted that stuff for ourselves. But God can tell us all about his future kingdom. Now, where does all this leave us? Um, the same place as Nebuchadnezzar. Look at his reaction in verse 46. He falls on his knees. He, he can see that something extraordinary and supernatural has happened here. It's very clear divine intervention, his dream being known and revealed to Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel at the end of the chapter. But more than that, verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar, as we said, recognizes surely Your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Only the Lord can tell us the future. He tells us what we need to know. We can trust him to tell us what we need to know. We can't just sort of ask him any little detail about the future and expect a a response. That's why... Daniel wasn't sure. He went and prayed to see if God would reveal this. But actually only the Lord can tell us who we are and what life is all about and how we should live and how we can live forever with him. We are very dependent on him. Human education and philosophy can get so far, but about the biggest things, the meaning of life, the far future, we have no real clue unless God reveals it to us. And he has. And it is all centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. His past coming to die and rise for us and his future coming to live and reign forever. And if you're new to that, like uh, Nebuchadnezzar was, keep coming, keep listening. Let God tell you everything that he has for you in the Bible, in Jesus. And perhaps you'll end up receiving him too. The God of gods, the Lord of kings. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, revealer of mysteries, we thank you so much that in our ignorance of so much about life and all that it means, so much about the future, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you are able to reveal to us all that we need to know. And we thank you especially for all of your words recorded in the Bible, words that we can trust Words that reveal to us extraordinary things about you, about us, about our relationship with you and all that is to come. Pray, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear and help us to long for that day when your kingdom rules over all and it will be wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 